everyone! Welcome to a brand new bonus episode of Jalo of the Month Club. I'm your host, Diana Koch. It's been quite some time since I've shared non-Jalo content, and I am extremely excited to talk to you about some new genre films. Recently, I was able to attend the virtual edition of Fantasia International Film Festival. Since 1996, Fantasia has focused on showcasing the most exciting and innovative examples of contemporary genre cinema from every corner of the globe. Using the festival scope and Shift 72 virtual platforms, Fantasia was able to bring much of the live event experience directly into viewers' homes. Offering filmmaker intros and audience-involved Q&As, live panels, and workshops, this year's festival took place from August 20th to September 2nd for Canadian audiences. Panels and special events were free and accessible worldwide. Virtual events included John Carpenter's Masterclass and Lifetime Achievement Award, Severn Films Presents, Narratives of Resistance and Folk Horror, and a tribute to filmmaker Stuart Gordon. My favorite event was likely Simon Gives Bad Career Advice, a talk with Simon Barrett. If you're not familiar, Simon Barrett is a screenwriter who is responsible for films like The Guest and You're Next, and he will also be directing an upcoming film called Seance. The event was humorous and honest, as Simon answered questions from fans who wanted advice on how to begin or manage their own careers in the film business. And lucky for you, all panels and events are posted on Fantasia's YouTube channel, so you can watch Simon Gives Bad Career Advice or any of the other events right now on YouTube. Over the years, Fantasia has proven itself to be one of the largest and most cutting-edge festivals of its kind. I was able to watch 30 full-length feature films as well as 11 short films during the 14-day festival. First up, I wanted to talk about my favorite short films. The short film Don't Text Back is directed and produced by lesbian couple Marielle Sharp and Kay Adelaide. Much like the filmmakers behind the short, I believe in champion diverse voices and the unparalleled potential of genre cinema as a channel for social change. The short itself is an amusing satire commenting on toxic masculinity and dating apps. The film follows an inexperienced young woman who is gifted a curse locket, which keeps her tethered to an unhealthy relationship. Our hex lead enlists the help of a new age neighborhood witch, who is a character, that actress is hilarious, Um, but the witch is totally up for the challenge of tackling dark magic and heteronormative relationships. The sharp-witted tone of this short film is established almost immediately, which is wonderful considering it only lasts for about 14 minutes. The natural flow of conversation and the inclusion of LGBTQ plus themes were a welcome addition I would recommend this short film to fans of genre-defying, snarky comedies like Jennifer's Body or Tragedy Girls. Also, Don't Text Back screened with the feature film Bleed With Me, which was also produced by Marielle Sharp with a special effects by Kay Adelaide. Congrats to Marielle and Kay for having two films at Fantasia this year. In addition to the short film Don't Text Back, I found most of the films included in the Small Gauge Trauma short film showcase to be extremely well done. I really enjoyed this short film called Oh Dear. It's a dark comedy about the perils of parenting, and I won't go much further because I don't want to spoil it. It's four or five minutes long, so watch Oh Dear if it comes across your radar. I also really liked the haunting horror western called Who Goes There? Set in 1880 in Minnesota, 
two sisters unintentionally invite a supernatural force into their home in hopes of healing their terminally ill sister. It was very effective and spooky, very chilling, and I love a good Western. So who goes there? If you're looking for a Western short film, I would recommend that one. I wanted to share my top favorite features. No particular order, just five that I really enjoyed. I was also able to connect with some of the filmmakers to provide you with exclusive content about their film. First up, we have The Mortuary Collection. Written and directed by Ryan Spindell, The Mortuary Collection is a gory addition to the horror anthology subgenre. The film consists of four short stories as told by an undertaker to an unexpected visitor at his establishment. The Raven's End Mortuary. Hence the title, The Mortuary Collection. Played by a scene-stealing Clancy Brown, our macabre host recounts grisly stories of unexplained terror and deadly karma. The film plays like the ultimate horror director's reel. You may recognize Ryan Spindell's name from the festival circuit. I was lucky enough to connect with Ryan, who told me that the idea for this full feature was written prior to his short film tie-in, which played at festivals in 2015. Ryan chose the most contained story from his screenplay and shot it as a proof-of-concept short before moving on to this large-scale project. I sort of don't want to talk any further about that short that played five years ago, as it spoils some of the beats of the full-length film. Recurring characters flawlessly weave in and out of each segment, and it's apparent that extremely strong effects and prosthetic teams were on hand. Filled with top-notch production design and costuming, each story shines with its own distinct atmosphere and style. As an admirer of amazing set design and interior design, I was really impressed with the talent displayed as the stories spanned across four separate decades. We only get a glimpse into the world of Raven's End, but it's a fantasy-filled, epic world. The Mortuary Collection was shot in segments, which gave the crew the ability to be hyper-focused on all of the details that are so important in a project like this. Sheeden began almost three years ago in December of 2017 and was filmed in burst for about a year before shifting into post-production. I thought the world building was really well done as I found myself engrossed in the people, places, and mysteries within the self-aware horror film. But don't let the whimsical exterior fool you. Once the short stories begin, things get really grim. There's a cleverness of the film that enhances its enjoyment factor. The humor contrasts the profoundly dark situations that each of the characters find themselves in. As far as the actors that are in this film, I was particularly interested in the casting of Jacob Elordi, who you may know from HBO's Euphoria and two Netflix movies called The Kissing Booth. Jacob is best known for non-horror roles, yet he has one of the more outlandish parts in the Mortuary Collection. According to the director, Jacob was the first person the film's casting director sent to him for the role. They thought he was exactly what they were looking for, and I think they're right. I'm really looking forward to the world's reaction on Jacob's segment. It's a doozy. Overall, The Mortuary Collection is an ambitious and old-fashioned anthology, which plays with the stereotypes and conventions of horror cinema. Great news for everyone! You can watch The Mortuary Collection on Shudder on October 15th. Next up, we have the film The Block Island Sound. A strange force is growing, influencing residents and wildlife off the coast of Rhode Island. Fish wash up on beaches, birds fall out of the sky, family bonds begin to crumble. 
Writer and director duo Kevin and Matthew McManus are best known for their work in comedy with the Netflix series American Vandal. However, the brothers dive into horror as the Block Island Sound explores conspiracy theories and family dynamics in daring ways. Our protagonist is named Harry. He's a loner who becomes concerned when his fisherman father begins acting strangely. Harry's estranged sister, a marine biologist, is sent to investigate the dead fish covering the local beaches. The siblings' worries increase when their father goes missing overnight. It's not long before Harry begins suffering from blackouts and sleepwalking, much like his father did, as he questions if something more sinister is at play. Laced with impressive sound design, the film combines elements of aquatic and cosmic horror to create something truly unsettling. Among the supernatural elements, the cast delivers great performances that only add to the well-developed characters. The Block Island sound is scary in a way that is methodical in its creeping sense of dread. It's heartbreaking because it has seemingly real characters that you don't want to see hurt. There's a child actress that just tugs at your heartstrings in every scene. And the film is terrifying because it's grounded and it includes so much subtextual horror. The filmmakers create depth within the story by focusing on the family relationships and the tension surrounding the alarming events on the island. The filmmakers never show us too much and never try to explain more than is necessary, resulting in an increasingly tense horror mystery that delivers twists and surprises in multiple ways. The Block Island Sound does not currently have distribution, but keep it on your radar if you're into Lovecraftian cinema or aquatic horror. The third film I want to share with you is called Survival Skills. Survival Skills is probably the most unique movie that I watched at Fantasia. Written and directed by Quinn Armstrong, Survival Skills assumes the identity of a lost police training video from 1988. VHS filter and all. Narrated by the smooth-voiced Stacey Keach, the analog format tape follows a rookie cop who is ready to learn law enforcement rules and how to apply them in real-life situations. Bayou O'Donnell gives a perfectly stilted performance as Jim, an impossibly cheerful new cop who is ready for his first day on the job. Rather awkwardly, the central story unfolds into something far graver. Our well-intentioned protagonist tries to resolve a domestic violence dispute outside of the law. It is with this confused yet compassionate turn that survival skills develops into an inventive dark comedy. The use of real-life examples and day-to-day scenarios only add to the thematic relevance. According to director Quinn Armstrong, to obtain the jarring VHS effect, he shot the movie digitally, cut it, and then took the final movie and put it on dozens of VHS tapes. Quinn bought every VCR in the greater Los Angeles area from Goodwill and every thrift store he could find. He had about 40 or 50 VCRs in his apartment at one point. He would take the VCRs, unscrew them, pop the top off, put the tape in, and then use magnets, knives, or fire to create the different effects. There were some happy accidents where the film cracks or static happens in really impactful ways. Overall, Survival Skills is a fourth wall breaking, unconventional film that leaves a lasting impression. I love the execution. It's inventive and creative, and obviously there's more than meets the eye. Survival Skills does not currently have distribution, but keep it in mind if you're looking for something different and also timely. Film 4. Dinner in America. 
Despite its hardcore exterior, Dinner in America is a punk rock romantic comedy with a good amount of heart and humor. We are introduced to Simon, a punk rocker with an interest in setting things on fire. Fleeing from the cops, he has a chance encounter with a shy pet store employee named Patty. Patty offers her home as a safe hiding place, and it isn't long before Simon disrupts the Midwestern suburban family. I have to mention that Pat Healy plays Patty's dad, and I will watch literally anything Pat Healy's in. I did not know he was in Dinner in America, and so I was so pleasantly surprised. (laughs) The film eventually settles into a genuine, moving story of two imperfect strangers finding solace in each other. Commenting on class struggles and ill-informed parents, it's clear that Patty and Simon are desperate to be seen and heard. The chemistry between our two leads lends itself to some incredibly tender moments. Emily Skiggs is pitch perfect as Patty in all of her cartoon t-shirt wearing social awkwardness glory. Kyle Gauner is seamless as our male lead with zero filter oozing dirtbag swag. I'm a fan of Kyle's. I have been a fan of his for probably nine, ten years or so. He's been in a lot of horror movies. He was in, oh man, the Nightmare on Elm Street remake. Not that I like that film, but he was in that movie. I know him from Jennifer's Body, which is one of my all-time favorite films. And he has also been in a bunch of television shows. So he was in like Veronica Mars, Smallville... CSI, a bunch of stuff. If you saw him, you would recognize him. But he typically plays a high schooler. And I thought it was really refreshing to see him shed his unending high school image for a more fleshed out adult role in Simon. Dinner in America bursts on screen, but it does turn into a sweet story of two people who didn't know they needed each other. The cinematography could have been flashier to match the tone and music of the film, but I'm excited to see what the director comes up with next. With its uncommon spin on the boy meets girl trope, Dinner in America turns into an enjoyable and exciting outsider comedy. Lastly on my favorite films list is You Cannot Kill David Arquette. Just for some background context on this documentary, in the year 2000, after filming the World Championship Wrestling, or WCW, wrestling comedy, Ready to Rumble, David Arquette was briefly brought into WCW storylines on the actual wrestling programs, quickly obtaining the World Heavyweight Championship title in the process. During his time as champion, David was mostly used as comic relief. He only appeared on two shows as champion. He held the title for only 12 days. 12 whole days. I should note that David was totally (laughs) against becoming the champion, believing that fans like himself would hate the person that is a non-wrestler that receives the title. His reign as champion has been criticized in the years since. I am a fan of David Arquette as an actor, so I've been pretty invested in his film career for the past 20-some years. As a casual watcher of professional wrestling, I never fully understood the hate David received due to this publicity stunt. The documentary, You Cannot Kill David Arquette, is a very honest film about finding acceptance in a world that has previously rejected or shamed you. It shines a light on the aftermath of the publicized ploy and how it has haunted Arquette for nearly two decades. It affected his film career, his family life, his marriage 
his (laughs) general self-esteem. The film is alarmingly intimate. It shows a side of David Arquette that I was never aware of. He comes off as a sensitive and fragile person. Captured over the course of two years, the documentary focuses on the troubled but well-loved actor's search for acceptance within the wrestling world. With a swift runtime of 90 minutes, the film is packed with outsider interviews, training montages, and never-before-seen live event footage. Directed by David Darg and Price James, You Cannot Kill David Arquette is a sincere documentary about overcoming self-doubt and personal obstacles. The film is now available everywhere to rent on demand. Well, there you have it. Those are my favorite films from Fantasia International Film Festival Virtual Edition 2020, The Mortuary Collection, The Block Island Sounds, Survival Skills, Dinner in America, and You Cannot Kill David Arquette. I would also like to mention the documentary Feels Good Man, which is currently available to rent on demand. The film follows artist Matt Fury, creator of the comic character Peppy the Frog. You know the one, the cartoon meme frog. The artist begins an uphill battle to take back his iconic cartoon image from those who used it for damaging purposes. It was completely eye-opening. I I would highly recommend Feels Good Man. It's very well done. I think that whether you're not familiar with Peppy the Frog or you are familiar, it's a a must-watch. I also want to give a shout-out and congratulations to director Amelia Moses. Amelia's film, Bleed With Me, had its premiere at Fantasia, and it was just announced that her film, Bloodthirsty, will have its world premiere at Fantastic Fest on October 1st. Fantastic Fest will take place virtually the last week of September. You can find more information on how to watch the films, watch some shorts, attend some events at fantasticfest.com. I must give a huge thank you to the staff of Fantasia International Film Festival. The entire team was fantastic to work with. A giant thank you to Fantasia Stephen Lee, who worked closely with the press and made sure that we had access to the films and kept us connected to public relations teams. I know it wasn't easy answering all of our requests and questions, but Stephen did an awesome job and he deserves a ton of praise. You can follow Fantasia International Film Festival on Instagram at Fantasia Festival and on Twitter at Fantasia Fest. You can follow this podcast, Jalo Month Club, on Twitter and Instagram at Jalo Club. You can follow myself, Diana, on Twitter, Instagram, and Letterboxd at Diana NK. I have Jalo the Month Club pins for sale, three different types. All information is available on Instagram. Feel free to message me or email jalloofthemonthclub at gmail.com if you have any questions. The podcast logo design is by Vegan Patches on Instagram. Intro and outro music is by Dream Division, Dream Division Music on Instagram. If you're listening to this bonus episode on Apple Podcasts and you like what you hear, please give a five-star rating. If you're listening other places, do like a thumbs up or a heart or a like it or a love it, whatever it is. Thank you for your support. And I will be attending a few more festivals this year, including Fantastic Fest, Salem Horror Fest, Panic Fest. 
I'm blanking. There are a couple more. So I know that this one was kind of horror light. Fantasia is more of an international genre festival. Most of the upcoming festivals that I am attending are horror festivals. So get excited for some horror movies. Also, September's Jollo episode is in the works with a very cool guest. It's coming at you very soon. As always, I'm your host, Diana Koch. Thank you for listening to Jollo of the Month Club. Music